0: Uh, uh, dear viewers, welcome to the second episode of the 313 podcast. I am joined once again by Sheikh Billah Hussein. Assalamu salamu alaykum. Alaykum as-salam. So the topic today is something that just two weeks ago when we were sitting in this very room seemed so much further away than it actually is now. And that is, of course, the novel coronavirus. And so let's jump straight into it. A theme that I personally and a lot of my peers see coming up uh, surrounding this topic is the idea that this virus is some sort of a divine punishment. And I wanted to explore the reasons behind this idea. Uh, as well as whether it carries any real validity. Alright, so Bismillah
1: ar-Rahman ar So, we have a tendency that when we see adversity in our lives, we want to find the source of it. And one of the easiest sources that we have to blame is God. Mm-hmm. That we say that this unknown, unseen divine power is attacking me or is causing me harm. Yeah. So when we see a harm or something like that, the first person we want to blame is God. Because we don't understand God, we don't see God, our limited awareness that God exists, mm-hmm. right? There's many people who will accept the fact that God exists, but then they never research anything beyond that point. Yeah. They've never thought about it that, okay, when I say God exists, what does that mean? How do I know that? What are all the facets of this creator? What is my relationship with him? What does he want from me? Many of us don't do that. What we do is we say, okay, I believe God exists. Here's the cultural and ritual norms that I've been taught.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's my life. And as soon as, for example, I see a hiccup in my life, I want to blame this creator. I assume it's him and he's coming down and he's, he's cracking down on me. And media kind of supports this image. Mm-hmm. That, for example, when we take a look at whether we take a look at in, in, in cartoons for children or we take a look at, for example, even media for adults. That if there's an involvement or a storyline that incorporates a God mm-hmm. and his subjects, whether that's humanity and alien, whatever that is, that there's some kind of for example uh, oppression or abuse or anger or retribution that God is taking against his creation, yeah that's not that that's someone who has a very limited understanding of what is God and what is his role. Mm-hmm. when we take a look at, for example, this virus and we take a look at a macro view of history, mm-hmm. we see that the idea of viruses and plagues impacting society is not something that is an anomaly. Rather that, for example, approximately every 100 years, every 60 to 70 years, another major plague hits, or a plague hits the land and something happens. Yeah. Whether we take as far back to, for example, we go back to the Black Plague, which yeah. is a major you know, flex mm-hmm. point in history with hundreds of millions of deaths. Um, or whether we take a look at a hundred years ago with the Spanish flu,
0: yeah,
1: and the Spanish flu is an interesting conversation within itself um, because of its impact. For example, on the digging of the canal, uh, what's the name of the canal that was dug in South America? Panama. There you go. That's the <laughs> word. <for it>. <laughs> <laughs> Quick brain fart. <laughs> so it happens, right? So when the Panama Canal was being dug, that there was an impact of, for example, that uh, uh, of the of the of the virus that was there at that point in time. The Spanish uh-huh. flu caused a lot of influx and a lot of issues. Uh, 100 years prior to that there's another one and this plague as we're calling it or pandemic as we're calling mm-hmm. it is actually really small at this point in time in comparison to things that have passed in the history yeah. as much so that the Spanish flu which is reported to have been around 1918 which is 100 years ago exactly mm-hmm. had a death toll of anywhere that if you take a conservative number you're talking about 20 million or if you talk about a more you know realistic as they would call it between 40 and 50 million people around wow. the world were killed by this we're talking about currently a pandemic that has an infection rate that has been measured at approximately 250,000 people mm-hmm. in six months or so. Yeah. Right? Let's assume not even six months. Let's say December is a starting point where this was kind of like coming into reality. Yeah. And we're about four months in and 250,000 people with a death rate that has recently hit a little over 10,000 people.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that this is something that is insignificant. Yeah, or i are not a,
0: trying to downplay it.
1: But the reality is, is that we've been through such events in history. Yeah. And when we take a look at, for example, the context of history at that point in time, if anything, right, the Spanish flu hits before World War II. Mm-hmm. If God was punishing us, <laughs> wouldn't it have happened after <laughs> World War II? Yeah. You fools. You kill each other. You do all these things. It should have started with Hitler and the end with the Nazis and the Japanese and... I mean, and that's our perspective yeah. of history, right? That they were on the wrong and we were in the right. And therefore that they should have been the ones who were hit by a pandemic and not us. Yeah. But the reality is, is that these things exist within the cycle of creation. Yeah. That everything exists within a cycle of creation. Everything has a time period and a process by which it goes through. Mm-hmm. As humanity grows and expands and spreads and changes, it comes in contact with different things. It interacts with different environments and those different environments then have an impact, mm-hmm. the same way that, for example, we can take a look at our lives and see that our interaction with technology has changed our lives in a positive, there are negatives that are associated with it. For example, the, the increase in cancer rates that exist now. Yeah. Now, do we say that the increase in cancer rates is, for example, the punishment of God upon us? Not necessarily. What mm-hmm. we do is we take a look and we can take a look and we can see that, okay, fine, we're using a lot more of artificial materials. We're using a lot more things that produce radiation. We're yeah. using a lot more... Different things that are the benefits of technology, and now we're seeing a consequence of that mm-hmm. The same way globalization is causing something that something can't be local to one location permanently, mm-hmm. right? When we think of all the good things that transportation has has given to us, that for example, I can get around the world in a day. I can go to anywhere and come back, and and you know there there's examples that for example talk about that, you know when you're well to do, and may God make us all well to do that you can take a weekend and go to Paris from New York. Yeah, You can go to London You know when tickets are cheap. I've had friends who say, hey, I'm gonna go see my grandma. I'm like, oh great. Uh, and they're like, I'll see you on Monday. Wait, isn't your grandma in London? <laughs> they're like, yeah, tickets are 300 bucks a round trip right now. Yeah. I'm gonna take a Friday red eye and I'm gonna take the red eye back on Sunday night. And I'm gonna spend two or three days with her and head right back. These are great benefits that we've seen of technology and improvements in transportation and environment. Now we're seeing some of the consequences of these improvements that, for example, something that is a localized disease that may have taken years to spread mm-hmm. and would have had a very, very long uh, incubation period within China before it got anywhere else by the system of globalization where people travel around the world constantly. Mm-hmm. They have access to all these research and all of these resources that didn't exist before. That now we're going to see some of the consequences. Yeah. So really what we want to say is is that Right. Instead of blaming a creator that I don't know about and just using him as a scapegoat to say that, oh, it's his fault that this is happening to us. Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at it in a logical, intellectual right. Right. First off, is there something like this that has happened in history? Yes. Does it have, for example, origination concepts that we can understand of where it's coming from, how it's impacting people, what's happening? Yes. So when we can take a look and tie all these logical reasonings and things like that, and there's no directive, Right. If we wanted to take a look at, for example, divine punishment, looked yeah. at, for example, the nation of Sodom and Gomorrah, mm-hmm. or we looked at, for example, the time of Noah and Noah his ark, or we took a look at, for example, Pharaoh in the time of Moses. Yeah. Any time there was a divine punishment, it was very clear why it occurred. Yeah. And it was very clear that those people that were the cause of this were the ones who were impacted by divine punishment. Here we're seeing something that's indifferent to an individual. And it's indifferent to people in locations. It's not necessarily specifying that people need to be punished. And not only that, it's not an isolated incident that we were warned about that, hey, this is going to happen if you don't. And rather it's a consequence of the environment and society and the culture that we live in.
0: Exactly. I think people want to focus in on the point of origination of the virus, and that is China. And, of course, China, in recent news, we've seen the persecution of of Uyghur Muslims, and they get sent to these education camps, which are realistically concentration camps. And a lot of people want to argue that this is... God's punishment on this group of people who are obviously uh, engaging in very oppressive acts. Uh, And what that does is not only sound extremely unintelligent, because this virus is in more places than just China.
1: Well, and not just that, let's talk about what happened in Myanmar, right, Mm -hmm. with the Rohingya and the persecution. Exactly. Why didn't it begin there? Let's talk about, for example, the persecution in Kashmir. Why didn't it happen there? Exactly. Let's talk about the persecution in Syria. Why didn't it happen there? Let's talk about the famine in Yemen. Why didn't it happen there? Mm -hmm. We can go, let's go back to the the Czech Republic and where they did ethnic ethnic uh, cleansing in Serbia. Why didn't it happen there? Not to take away from the oppression that's being suffered by those people. However, to create and tie and create false correlations between things at times disrupts our ability to acknowledge that. If, for example, we said this is a divine punishment for the for what happened to the Uyghurs, now all of a sudden we assume that, oh, okay, since they've been, for example, vindicated or that this disease has come, we have no obligation to the Uyghurs anymore. God took care of them. No, mm. that's not true. No. We still have an obligation. We still have to take care of those people. We still have a responsibility to those people. You can't pass the buck and say, oh,
0: God did it to them. Exactly. Oh. I mean, all, all, all it seems to be doing is, is increasing, frankly, racist sentiment toward Chinese people. I mean... I, I can't go a single day without seeing some kind of insensitive joke about the, 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 the diets of, of uh, certain groups of people. And it's 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 all very... So everybody do your part and buy Chinese food. Yeah, exactly. so I mean, <laughs> Ch- Ch- Chinese restaurants are like... No, there is. There is yeah. actually a
1: real impact to the people. And that's why. This is why, for example, one of the consequences of... of of being forced into isolation should be something that causes us to open our minds mm-hmm. and step away from the popular media narrative that's fed to us. Let's use our heads and think about what's going on, what are we being told, and how is that tied to reality? Let's be a little bit more critical in our thought process to say that, okay, does this make sense? Does mm-hmm. this not make sense? If this makes sense, then what are all the, the consequential points that have to be true? And that, become, that becomes a very lengthy conversation that makes us question how we accept the narratives that are fed to us. Yeah. All
0: right. So uh, for those of us in parts of the world, such as here in New York, where we're not being faced with this virus with the same intensity uh, as people are in places such as Italy or Iran, China, South Korea, we're still told to take advisory precautions uh, follow certain procedures that uh would prevent the spread of such a virus, uh, despite that, there are still some people who choose to take the stubborn route and say that if God has this virus and dying by it written in my destiny, then so be it. I don't need to go out uh with a mask on or gloves i i don't I don't need to stay home actually. Uh, it is what it is. What do we say to that? So,
1: there's a verse in the Quran where Allah talks about that nothing will befall us except what Allah has written for us. Exactly. And He is our master. And uh, He is our master, and the believers rely on God. Mm-hmm. This verse is sometimes used by people to, for example, throw caution to the wind and do whatever they want to. And they say, if something bad's going to happen, it's going to happen.
0: Yeah.
1: And if it's not going to happen, there's nothing I can do about it. The idea that Allah is telling us and God is telling us that he writes for us consequence and that he has decided for us what's going to happen. We talked about this to say that the nature of all events that exist in reality fall into three categories. That which has to happen, Mm -hmm. that which will never happen, and that which God has the discretion to decide if it happens or if it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So the example that, you know, is given is, for example, your parents. Yeah. They're going to give you food. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. They're not gonna give you, for example, cigarettes. Mm-hmm. So we know something is definitely going to happen that you will be fed and taken care of by your parents. We know that some things are definitely not going to happen. In a healthy household, okay? Let me, yeah. let me give that caveat here, in a healthy household. <laughs> yeah. That you're not going to, for example, be given things that are harmful to you. Mm-hmm. It's just not gonna happen. There's no way of saying, please, mom, can I have some crack? And mom's gonna be like, ah, why not have some today? <laughs> It's never going to happen. No parent wants their child to have that kind of, I mean, a healthy household Mm -hmm. with healthy, mentally healthy people, right? But that third category of God's will and discretion, for example, is the idea of having dessert. I want to have ice cream. Yeah. Now, there's nothing so necessarily harmful, again, in a normal household Mm -hmm. of ice cream that, for example, that insists that you can't have it ever. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that insists that you have to have it. Yeah. But if a child, for example, pleads with his parents or asks his parents for ice cream, they may give it to him yeah. and they may not. But if that child never asks for ice cream, it may never even come as a thought that, hey, my kid would like ice cream and I should get him some ice cream. Yeah. The same concept applies to the relationship between us and our creator. Mm-hmm. That there exist those things that are definitely going to happen to us, those things that are never going to happen for us. And this third category of events that if we ask God, he'll give it to us. This is the whole point of supplication and, and prayer and asking. Yeah. Is that there exist things that God can give us should we ask him for. And God says, he says, ask me and I'll answer you. Call on me and I'll answer you. Mm-hmm. I'll give you what you ask for. Ask me at yeah. least. Right? So, so, for example, we know that when these three categories exist, there is that. That's definitely going to happen. That's that never is going to happen. And the third that happens. That if you ask, God can do it. Mm-hmm. And if you ask, he'll give it to you. And since we don't know, for example, me having a, a Bugatti, mm-hmm. although they require a lot of maintenance,
0: you know. I uh, don't think they're even legal in uh, New York State. But they're very pretty. Anyway. Jake so <laughs> <I, laughs> hesitates for the finer things. Why not? If you're going to
1: ask for something, why not? Why not a Bugatti? Yeah, why not? So... I don't know if God has insisted or ensured that I'm definitely going to have a Bugatti in my life. Or he's insisted and ensured that I'm never going to have a Bugatti in my life. Mm -hmm. So my job is to ask him. And ask him for everything. Because some of those things are going to be in that category that he'll give me if I ask for. Mm -hmm. And some of those things that I'll never receive. I don't know what things are in those categories. Uh, you know, I may have an opinion or an idea, but which is why the instruction for us is to ask God for everything. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the relationship to the conversation that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen? Exactly. When we go back to the idea that we trust in God
0: mm-hmm.
1: and what God has written for us will befall us, it tells us that until the time in action happens, that I have the freedom to ask God for this to happen or not to happen. Yeah. So, for example, until I catch coronavirus, I have the permission and the right to ask God that it shouldn't happen to me. I don't want it. I don't want it to happen. And I have the responsibility that I should be asking him for this. Mm -hmm. Because it could be one of those things that if I asked him, he wouldn't give it to me. He wouldn't make me go through this difficulty and this trial. Mm -hmm. So in the same concept, we know that we should be asking God not to put us through trial and difficulty, not assuming that it has to happen. Yeah. The point of the verse in the Quran where Allah is saying and God is saying that uh, nothing befalls us except that which Allah has written for us is to say that when an action comes to you and after it's come to pass, instead of asking the question, why me? Or instead of asking the question, what could I have done differently or finding someone to pass blame to? Mm -hmm. We should accept that this is something that was intended for us and that if it's intended for us, there's some goodness in it. And that's an interesting point as well, too, about understanding our Creator.
0: Mm-hmm. So, in addition to being given the capacity to ask God uh, to keep us from being inflicted by this virus, God is also given the ability to think for ourselves and use our mental faculties sure. to just avoid this well, thing.
1: And, and again, right, back into a bigger question from that. Mm-hmm. The bigger question is free will or predestination.
0: Yeah,
1: If it's predestination, then this idea of me insisting that, well, if it's going to happen to me, it's going to happen to me, and I have no control over it. And if there's free will, then that means I have discretion in this matter, and I should be careful about it. Yeah. So there's a really interesting conversation between uh, our seventh imam, mm-hmm. who at the age of five, uh, Abu Hanifa comes to the house of the imam, uh, a cleric, a philosopher, yeah. comes to the house of the imam, and he asks for Imam Sadiq to have a conversation. And this five-year-old boy, who's Imam Musa Iqazim, uh says, my dad's not available. Mm-hmm. So this philosopher says, you are raised in the house of purity. Maybe you can answer my question. Mm-hmm. So he, the, imams, the five-year-old Imam says, ask me. And Abu Hanifa says, I'm trying to understand if when a man commits an action, does he do it? Does God make him do it? Or are they both partners in the affair? And the five-year-old imam, he answers this question in the following fashion. Mm -hmm. He says that if God makes a man perform an action, then on the day of judgment, when some people will go to heaven and some people go to hell, then God is the one who should go to heaven and God is the one who should go to hell because he made people do it. He says, if they're partners in the affair and that they're both equal in the affair, that they both decide to do it, then God being the stronger partner should be the one who is punished first, and God is the one who is deserving of reward. Mm-hmm. Because he's the stronger one of the two of us, so therefore it's on him, not on me. Yeah. So he says, in reality, this brings us to the conclusion when we take a look at it and understanding that truly man has discretion over the actions that he chooses to perform. That is the fundamental that now allows some people to go to heaven and other people to go to hell. Yeah. So the idea that God has written it and he's forced us into this process and if it's going to happen to me, God has already decided is unfair because at that point in time, well, if God decided all these things, then why do I have to go to hell and why do I get to go to heaven? Yeah. He already made these decisions. Yeah. So the fundamental is, is we have to understand that don't use faith as a scapegoat to blame your actions. Mm -hmm. Don't use faith as a way out of your responsibilities. Rather, faith is that guiding understanding that some affairs are always going to be in my control, and some affairs are not in my control. And where I lose control, I trust that there's a reason for the conclusion that I get to when affairs are out of my hands. But as long as they're in my hands, I shouldn't use someone else or blame someone else for the good or bad that happens to me. It's rather it's on me to make that decision and come to a good conclusion.
0: Well, well, you guys heard it here first. Uh, You, at least to some extent, have control over whether or not you get the coronavirus uh so well why not i mean you know think about it
1: if 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 we do social social distancing yeah i keep wanting to call it isolationism but if we do social distancing (laughs) or you know as one person when this is assisting he says social social distancing is an unfair name because that implies that we can't keep in contact with anyone Mm. he says rather the concept of physical distancing now with the use of technology we don't have to socially distance ourselves you know we, we we should you know If we practice physical distancing, we perform all the precautions that we can, and we take care to be conscientious of both our health and the health of those around us, then there should be hopefully no reason. And at that point in time, if something befalls us, then we should submit to the wisdom of God that I did everything I was supposed to. I did everything right. And if this difficulty befell me, then this is something God had intended for me. And this is going to be an experience that's going to imbetter my life.
0: Yeah. So, taking into account that the Prophet, peace be upon him, was sent as رحمة mean a mercy to all mankind, uh, he and his family, what advice have they left us to practice during times of crisis such as these?
1: So, one, for example, specifically in the term of plagues, there is actually a prescription from the Holy Prophet in plagues himself. Mm-hmm. Where And and this is actually being practiced right now. So today, the 25th of the month of Rajab, uh, which is the Islamic month Mm -hmm. that's currently going on, is a day that marks the martyrdom of the seventh imam. Yes. And as a tradition in Iraq, people take a pilgrimage to Baghdad Mm -hmm. and they visit the shrine of the imam. They visit his burial place. Mm -hmm. And this is usually in the millions, millions of people. The entire country, I think, has a total of 30 million people. Yeah. And 10 million people gather in the city of Baghdad as a commemoration for this event.
0: It, uh, I was checking the statistics because I was curious for uh, Arbaeen, which is another uh, observance that we have, the amount of people gathered in uh, Karbala for that. The amount of people gathered for the death of Imam Musa Qasim, the seventh Imam, in Qadhmain, or Baghdad, is among the top 10 largest gatherings uh, of people in the world, Mm -hmm. peaceful gatherings. That's right. Uh,
1: And and people do. And this year is no exception. People want to go. Mm -hmm. But what's been happening on social media is that conscientious individuals, the scholars in society, the governmental individuals, have been sharing this narration of the Holy Prophet and saying that our Prophet was somebody who instructed us when a Plague hits your community, hits your society. If you hear of a plague in a land, don't go there. Yeah. And if you're in a land where a plague exists, don't leave there. Mm -hmm. So they're saying we're in that kind of a situation now that the person you want to go see, this is the advice they would give you. Don't do it. So they're actually promoting this concept and saying that, hey, the advice of the prophet stands. Mm -hmm. That if you're here to commemorate the grandson of the prophet, don't violate the instruction of his father. Yeah to visit him. This wouldn't be something that pleases these personalities. Yeah. So the same instruction that, for example, in general, that the prophet gave is something that was implemented and taught by all of the imams, that when it comes to a plague or it comes to, for example, something like this, that's a pandemic, a disease, that's spread by society. 1400 years ago, we received the instruction. If you're, if you hear of a place where there's a pandemic or a plague, don't go there. And if you're in a place where there's a pandemic or a plague, Don't leave there. Mm -hmm. Both of these instructions are really important. One, you know, for example, you don't expose yourself to danger. And two, you're socially conscientious that you're not exposing others to danger by you leaving that place. So we have instruction. We have instruction and guidance that, for example, when, when this particular problem befalls you, how we should behave. And that's our job to implement that.
0: That's very good. So last thing, of course in an effort to prevent the spread of the virus, we're all spending more time inside our homes, we're working from home. If we're students, we're taking classes online. With all this time we have to spend at home, how do we make the best out of it? So
1: one thing I'll always recommend is making lists. Mm -hmm. Sit down and make a list for yourself. And on that list, put in a variety of different things that you want to accomplish, that you want to do. What happens many times, especially when you're in, and and this is for people who work from home, they know this, but for the majority of people who haven't had this experience and they're learning about it, is that you can find yourself in a situation where you're wasting time. You're just kind of like, you catch yourself in a mental cycle where you're not sure what I'm supposed to be doing next, where should I go, how should I do these things. It's great to build lists. You put a list together and on it you put, for example, and you can put simple tasks and you can put complicated tasks. And you can try and kind of, for example, and it's great to balance it. Don't put, for example, just really, really simple little things to do. Yeah. And don't put really, really big, difficult things that are just, for example, you know, like finding world peace. <laughs> I can put it on my list, but let's be realistic, right? That's just, you know, that's a Thursday morning for yeah. me. You know, I'm not going to do that on a Tuesday. So the idea is, is put, you know, tasks and build them out. If you have big tasks, break them down into steps and have a list. This way, whenever, for example, I have free time, or I find myself spiraling, or I find myself wasting time, and I want to get myself out of it, if I have to sit there at that moment and think of what am I supposed to do next, mm-hmm. nothing's going to come to mind. You know, it's going to be like hit the next episode on Netflix. Yeah. So Versus that, when I have a list built out, I have the ability of one, helping myself, pulling myself out of, for example, a bad situation. Pulling myself out of a spiral, pulling myself out of the process of, for example, uh, just watching episode after episode on TV and yeah. just sitting there with a the laptop turned on. Yeah, you,
0: you caught me there. I have been making the most of my Netflix subscription.
1: <laughs> so that, that's one aspect. The other thing is, is that, for example, when you do get ne- down and you get a little depressed over all these other things, being able to cross things off of a list really helps, gives you that positive reinforcement yeah. to move on to the next task or look at something different. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this, this, this list building thing, especially when, you're, when you want to work from home, is fantastic. The other thing is, is every two, three days, write a brand new list. Mm-hmm. Take some things off of the old list, move it onto to the new list, create a brand new list so that you have a new document to take a look at. And don't throw out the old one. Put it to the side sometimes you need to look at your old victories to kind of give you motivation and to remember different things that you want to do. Yeah. So, for example, going back and looking at last week's list and being like, oh, yeah, I was working on all these different things. Maybe something I completed, there's another level to it that I can do. Maybe mm-hmm. there's something else that I can do. For, and sometimes it's follow-up. Like, for example, I wanted to write an email to find up and follow up on, for example, uh, my grades or my, my result from my professor or I asked him a question.
0: Yeah.
1: I've crossed it off my list. I'm done. I didn't get an answer,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Now to remember that, oh yeah, to go back, I can go look at my old list and kind of be like, oh yeah, I sent him an email, I didn't hear back. Let me add it to my email, let me add it to my list again to send an email and send a communication. Yeah. The other thing is, is keeping in contact with family, friends, and relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and a lot of time. If, for example, you know, I get on my phone and I just kind of start talking, there's my day. But if, for example, I allot myself a time that for 20 minutes I'm going to reward myself that, you know, I'm going to have, some interaction with family, friends, and relatives, I I can then, you know, kind of pick and choose and start the process of communication. Start from the beginning of my contact book and begin the process of calling people or messaging them. Hey, I was thinking of you. Mm -hmm. That's a great message, you know. Hey, I was thinking of you. What's going on with life? Yeah. You know, we take for granted that since we see on social media or that people can share and post content that we know generally what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we've already talked about, and there's a lot of articles out there that, for example, Instagram, you know, Twitter, all these things represent your best life. Yeah. And it's not really a true reflection of the condition you're going through and things mm-hmm. like that. But reaching out to someone and just touching base, you kind of hear in, you kind of feel in what's going on, you hear about what's happening, what's up with life. And it gives you a point to reconnect, and sometimes it gives you ideas on how you could be growing Yeah. are things you could be taking a look mm-hmm. at. So, I mean, these are different things that we can do. And the other thing is... is Try and have a system of compensation. For example, if I have X number of hours that I enjoyed myself, I need to do X number of things in place. So for example, one that I have that I use is however many hours a night I sleep, that's how many pages of Quran I have to read every day. Wow. So this way, for example, one is, you know, like the idea, you're stuck at home. Yeah. You're not sleeping the same as you used to before. There are people who are sleeping 12 hours a day right now. (laughs) Guilty. You don't have to tell everybody. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I want them to know they're not alone.
1: <laughs> but the idea is, is right, we're, we're, we're taking advantage. We're kind of flexing. We're kind of having a little bit of fun. We're spreading out. We're getting comfortable. We're getting relaxed. Yeah. Because there's the boundaries that we have of structure and schedule aren't there to force us back into, you know, for example, instead of eating one cookie, there are people who are eating the whole box in one go.
0: I don't know why you're coming at me like this uh, today. I, I <laughs>
1: If anyone ever asks if I'm spiritual and I can see the unseen, you know the answer. (laughs) I'll testify to that. The point is, right, what we do is things that we enjoy. Yeah. Have a point system that compensates, that for every X of these that I have, I have something else. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I have, uh, you know, for example, an hour of TV has to have 30 minutes of studying. For example, that, yeah. you know, I have to at least spend 30 minutes listening to my – or for example, for every episode that I watch, I have to listen to one lecture online of my class. Okay. Or for example, another one could be that for for example, you know, every every show that I want or, you know, show and TV or things that we want to do for fun. Yeah. Every cookie that I want to eat, I have to do five push-ups. Yeah. You know, or something that gives us a compensation that helps us hold us mm-hmm. accountable to ourselves Because right now without the structure of a schedule that keeps us busy, we all have this tendency, it's a human nature thing, Mm -hmm. that we have the desire to overindulge in something. Yeah. So you have to create a system to protect yourself from overindulging, and the way you can do that is is by setting a check and balance
0: for Yeah, yourself. just just staying disciplined, basically. It helps you. Yeah, you know,
1: yeah. We a lot of us rely on our schedule to keep ourselves disciplined. Yeah. And our schedule's gone. It's gone. I mean, it's absolutely gone. Yeah. I mean there's there's nothing. You're like you gotta think three times before you go to the grocery store. Yeah. Forget everything else. So which is why you have to create a checks and balance system for yourself to kinda keep yourself from just losing control. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, these are things that are really helpful that can mm-hmm. kind of help us create a bit of a structure in, in order to our lives. And,
0: yeah. You know. If you allow me to be a hypocrite for a second, the most difficult part about this whole self-disciplining thing is always starting. Mm-hmm. That's always the most difficult part. Once you do it for a day or two, then it sort of becomes second nature and you thank yourself for it in the long run. Uh,
1: I'm not seeing the hypocrite part yet.
0: No, oh, it's because I'm not doing it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Again, you don't have to tell people these things. It's okay.
0: <laughs> I'll start. I'll start tomorrow. Said everybody ever.
1: Well, it, you know, the, the best thing is, is to do one at a time. Yeah. Right? To, to, and, and even, in for example, in prayer. Yeah. Right? There's a narration that talks about the idea that a Muslim is a person who should pray 51 rakat a day. Mm-hmm. should pray 51 cycles of prayer every day. The mandatory minimum that's required is 17. Yeah, I was, I was gonna
0: say don't 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 get me wrong. But I, I, I thought so,
1: so the question always is and people ask this question, how do I get from 17, which is a minimum? Yeah, to 51. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, for example, when people hear this, and I'm sure I should be praying 51. The next day, they jump in to the deep end, and they go 51. Yeah. And they're committed for about a week. And then they burn out. Mm-hmm. Rather, what's recommended is you start slowly, you start slowly, you add two and then after you become in the habit of adding two, then add three, then add another two, then add one. So it's a gradual building process. So for example, if I decide I'm gonna be the most disciplined regimented individual starting tomorrow, it's not gonna happen. Because what's gonna happen is I may do it for a day or two or three and then I'm gonna burn out because Mm -hmm. it's so different from my regular lifestyle that it causes me to freak out and I want to go back because humans are creatures, uh, of habit yeah we like to have our habits we like to have our routines we like to have our systems mm-hmm. so the best way is bring gradual change gradually add one thing and another thing and you can kind of build one off the other so for example one thing that happens is accountability is great in helping us keep committed to something mm-hmm. so for example as i add something new to my routine when i call a relative for example or i call a friend i say hey i started this new thing in my routine
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that aspect of now that i've shared it Now will help keep me accountable to the fact that I keep it going. So in this way, you know, you can kind of always add in gradually and then build and build back and forth. And sometimes if you can get a friend to do the same kind of commitment, you know makes a big help. It's always good
0: having some company.
1: Yeah. And and that's the thing. One of the things that I've seen people are doing, for example, when they start a new routine Mm -hmm. to keep themselves accountable. They'll announce that new routine and how they fulfill that new routine on, for example, Twitter. Yeah. Or, you know, or or on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And they'll include that snap of the day. And then it becomes, you know, I started this. People are going to be looking. Or I have to keep up with it. And other people, for example, then compliment and support your process. Yeah. So as, for example, you may start something new. You may start something good. Find a platform or an environment, whether it's in a private group or a discussion or with a friend that helps you keep accountable to yourself and do it in a gradual process. Mm -hmm. Because when we do it too extreme, then we're like, hell with everybody. I don't care. Uh, And then we can't stick to it. So one change. Start with one change. One different thing that I'm going to do today. And then from there, in a couple of days, add the next. Mm -hmm. Add the next. And do it gradually so it sticks. And it becomes a lifestyle even after this all passes.
0: And it will pass. Yeah. 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 Inshallah, God willing. Uh, I think that's all we have for uh, this episode. I think it's been a good time. It has. It has. We've learned definitely a lot. And this has been very, very enlightening. So thank you so much for having this conversation. Glad to Uh, And we hope you guys uh, do your best to stay safe, stay healthy. And uh, we'll talk to you on the next episode. Khud